Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Taoism is one of the world's most ancient spiritual traditions, teaching that if we are in alignment with not merely nature, but the very source of nature, we experience healing, good health, and profound peace and joy. Today we welcome Taoist healer, Reverend Diane Rooney, with our host, Reverend Dr. Jose Roman. What piqued your interest in Taoism? Well, Taoism, I like to say, actually found me. Um, I um, had a history of working on various licenses and certificates to try to um, bring healing to people. So first I was a reflexologist, and then I joined a healing foundation group, and I learned different techniques on how to bring healing to people. And then from there I became an acupuncturist and then practiced acupuncture for about 20 years now. Um, it is um, it, it falls under the umbrella of Taoism. Mm-hmm. But as I look back on my uh, path of healing, it's real. Taoism is about being in the present. It's about not worrying and having anxiety about the future or pondering your failures of the past. It's about being in the present. And when I work one-on-one with people, no matter what it is, reflexology, massage, acupuncture, uh, one-on-one uh, uh, healing techniques, um, guided visualization, things like that, it's always about bringing them into the present moment. And that in and of itself is Taoism. I didn't realize it was Taoism at the time. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, I realized I was actually practicing Taoist practices. Much later, uh, I would say uh, early uh, or late 90s, is when I really understood what I was doing was Taoist practices. And then I really started to dig into the sacred texts and the philosophies and all of that stuff. So Taoism really found me. I just kind of fell into it or flowed into it, as a Taoist would say. Mm. Now, it's sort of interesting. Taoism, along with like the Hindu faith and the Jewish faith, is one of those truly ancient traditions. Taoism is even more ancient than Buddhism and has affected Buddhism significantly. Um, Tell us a little bit about the, um, the history of Taoism. Sure. Um, well, the father of Taoism, uh, we say, is Lao Tzu. And he was about 6th century BCE, but he was not the father of Taoism. He was an archivist. He was a librarian. Mm-hmm. He just recorded uh, all these philosophical sayings because he had access to the kings and the emperors and the rulers of the time and their writings. So he in just, China, correct? He in China. Chinese, in China. So okay. he start right at the end of the uh, warring states, the Zhao dynasty. So before Lao Tzu, China was extremely violent. There was just a lot of 
warring going on because it was the birth of the Iron Age. And so out of the end of this came all these philosophies. Buddha came along, Confucius came along, Lao Tzu came along. But the history of Taoism, although it wasn't called Taoism, was ancient, probably about two or 3,000 years before Lao Tzu. So you have the Huangdi Neijing, which is dated about 2600 BCE, uh, the Yellow Emperor's Canon of Internal Medicine, which is a Taoist text. Mm. Before that, you had uh, what was shamanism. It was the Wu people. But what they were practicing was harmony with nature, which is Taoist practices. So Taoism really took the, the shape of shamanism before Lao Tzu, and he kind of made it philosophical. And from there, then it became, then there was internal alchemy that came out of that, which are internal practices. And then from there came the religion. Taoism wasn't a religion, but later became religious. And what that means is ritualistic. Right. Temples, ritual, um, things so, like that. So tell me a little bit about Lao Tzu. In, ten, in a sense of what exactly he did that allowed him to, as this great librarian with great exposure to all this learning and all this history, all this philosophy, he did something that brought it all together. What was that? Tell me a little bit about well, that. Well, he wrote the most second translated book uh, in the history of the planet called the Tao Te Ching. Mm. Um, first of all, let me just say, we don't know if Lao Tzu is real. Right. He could be a fictional character. He may not be. We don't know. Mm. But around um, 600 BCE or so, uh, he, uh, like I said, was a librarian. He gathered all these sayings and wrote, well, actually before that, he had been fed up with society. And um, he decided, we're told, he decided to, uh, first of all, uh, I'm backing up here. Lao Tzu means old man or old master. Right. Okay. There is fable um, on how he was born. Um, he was supposedly born an old man. <laughs> so he was born uh, 81 years old. And there right. happens to be 81 chapters in the Tao Te Ching. So 81 is an important number. But in any event, he was fed, the story goes, he was fed up with society. He rode an ox out towards Tibet, out of China. So, so, so let's, let's set this up. Here is this brilliant very old man, right? Wise man. Wise man. Working Re in the libraries with exposure to all of this That's magnificent, right. which also means a magnificent life. Recording he, all these wonderful oh, uh, texts he's, and He's in the court of the emperor, right, of, yes. of China. And then he makes the decision, enough is enough. I'm leaving all of this. I am, if you will, retiring. Yeah. And now he gets on a... An ox. An ox. And um, it, you know, was he retiring? We don't know. Uh, right. The story goes that he tried to practice what he was writing, and he was frustrated that people were not were not adhering to that, to the new way of thinking, which is just to be still, to let go, to stop um, clamoring for for stuff and for power and for gain. And so he was fed up. So he climbed an ox and he rode west. At the gates, the gatekeeper recognized who he was. And he said, no, no, don't go. And Lao Tzu's like, no, I'm going. And he said, no, please. He's like, no, I'm going. He said, all right, if you're going to go, can you please write down your wisdom? Mm. So it is said for the next either hour or three days, again, the stories always change, he sat down, had tea with the gatekeeper, 
and wrote down 81 verses or chapters in what is now called the Tao Te Ching. And so we have this book that really came out into the public and gained momentum probably around uh, 3rd century BCE. So it was much later that it gained momentum because Confucianism was really the, uh, the main political and social religion of the time. So the Tao Te Ching is one of the central sacred scriptures of Taoism. It is. And truly one of the, sac- one of the great sacred scriptures of the world, along with the Dharmapada, the, the Jewish scriptures, the Christian scriptures, yes, right? It it's is. extraordinary. And it's so tiny. It's a small little book. Mm-hmm. And it is said that you can spend a half hour reading it or a lifetime. <laughs> but there are other texts, too, uh, on Taoism. As I mentioned, well, the I Ching. Right. The uh, Huangdi Neijing, um, and then Zhuangzi, which is uh, a man around 300 BCE who wrote a book called his name, the Zhuangzi. And he really also is credited with one of the most profound books in Taoism and Taoist practices, Taoist stories, Taoist philosophies that there is right next to the Tao Te Ching. He actually made the Tao Te Ching what it is, so we're told. So let's let's go with now maybe into the Tao Te Ching itself and into the philosophy itself by asking what I guess would be the central question. What is the Tao? What is, ha, what is the Tao? Well, um, what is the Tao indeed? Uh, the Tao is not a god. Let's just uh, put that out there. It's not an anthropomorphic figure. It's not a personified deity. Tao is the void. Tao is nothing and Tao is everything, which is why we in the West have such a hard time trying to comprehend Tao philosophy because there's no being, there's no prophet, there's no messenger of Tao. It just is. So the book teaches us, the Tao Te Ching teaches us that um, to speak the Tao, you are not in Tao because you're separate from this void, this nothingness. But we have to understand it. There was words put to it. So we, so in order to understand it, even in chapter one, we are told the Tao is uh, nothing and everything. We are also told that the Tao um, became the one. The one became the two. The two became the three, and the three became 10,000 things. So what that means is the void became something. It became a whole, the one. But in order for the one to understand itself, it had to split into two. And we call that yin and yang. Ah. And that's the two. We in the West call it opposites, but they're not opposites. Yin and yang are two um, aspects of Tao that transmute and form each other and come out of each other. They seem like opposites, but they aren't. As an example, yin would be nighttime, and we can't understand nighttime unless we understand what daytime is, and that's yang. But yang, day becomes night, becomes day, becomes night. It's not day, night, day, night, right? It's they meld into each other. So, or change into each other or transmute. So that transmuting into each other is the third. So the one becomes the two, the two becomes the three, which is the relationship between the two, and the three become the 10,000. In China, they use 10,000 to mean infinite, everything. Ah. 
And we can even say that the one became the two, became the three, became the four, which is the four directions, mm -hmm. became the five, which is the five elements in Chinese medicine and Chinese philosophy and in Taoism. Everything is related to nature and harmony, which is what the Tao Te Ching talks about as well. So nature has its seasons, and each season has an element. So that would be the five. And then the five become the 10,000. So the Tao, long answer to your short question on, well, but what is Tao, and how does the book talk about it? It talks about, I would say, it talks about being still, letting go, and flowing, just flow, instead of trying to change things and manipulate things and control things, if you let it go, it will happen. Nature does nothing, yet everything gets done, Lao Tzu tells us. Hmm. So if we let go and just let things unfold naturally, we'll get things done. We'll get exactly what we need and we'll get exactly what we want. We just have to let go and let flow. It's interesting. There, there are two things that you've said that have really resonated with me that I think many of us in the West need to really sit with. The first is this brilliant statement that, that comes out of Taoist literature that to speak of the Tao is not the Tao. There's this deep, deep ancient wisdom that the mythology is not the reality. The mythology is necessary. The language is necessary. The teachings are necessary because yeah. our, our minds That's want right. to wrap itself around it. And yet there's this deep understanding that teaching is not the reality. Let the teaching in many ways give you a sense of comfort. Comfort enough that you could open yourself up to the reality, but the reality is not to be understood but realized. Yeah, I mean, and it's all we have. We have language right. so that we can learn. Right. I think ultimately just being still and allowing who we are inside the wrapping, mm -hmm. inside our spacesuit called the body, we would be, we would learn, we would know, we would just know. But right. we, we can't do that today, right. at mm -hmm. least not yet. So we need words to tell us what we don't need, you know? Right. And so... I just find it fascinating that the very first line of the first chapter of the Tao Te Ching says, the Tao is not the Tao if it's spoken about. Yet how else are we going to learn of the Tao unless we speak about it? And words are language, and we need to speak about it. But that spoken word, these, these lessons, lead us towards undoing. So it's all about undoing. And the more I study Taoist practices, the more I see it's about stillness. It's about stillness of mind. It's about stillness of breath. It's about stillness of being. And it's not about movement, yet we move. There's a concept in Taoism called Wu Wei, and its translation is action, non-action. That's its literal translation. Like, what does that mean, action, non-action? It's a paradox, and that's another thing. The Tao Te Ching is filled with paradox. Uh, it means you do move but you don't force the movement. It's power without force. It's um, Alan Watts kind of likens it to a sailboat versus uh, a, a rowboat. Right. Right. So you, you move, but you're letting go and you're letting nature take you. And when you do that, you become closer, I think, to what Tao is, to being Tao, because we're all fragments 
of the whole. We're all rays of sun, if you will. So is a ray separate than the sun? Is it the sun? Are there many rays? Or is it just one ray coming from the one being called the sun? So are we. Are we we're a ray of Tao. So we're our Tao, yet we're separate, yet we're not. And we're all rays of Tao. And in Chinese medicine, at least the way I practice it, I want to, um, when a patient walks in, I want to know how I can bring them closer to the one. What is standing in their way of becoming more of who they are, becoming more of Tao, becoming more of the immortal self that we are, which is a principle of Taoism. And that immortal self is that which is covered by skin and bones and personality. Because the immortal self does not change. So we know Tao isn't the body. Tao isn't words because words change. Our body changes. Tao is that thing within us that never changes. And that's what immortality is, is to, is to get in touch with that which is immortal within ourself. And that's Tao. What is the difference between Tao and Taoism? Well, Taoism is the study of Tao. Uh, Taoism became, so as I mentioned in the history, you had the shamans um, just being at one with nature. Then you had Lao Tzu talking about the philosophy of, of Taoism and giving us um, uh, verse after verse on how we can do that. Then you had Zhuang Tzu giving us stories about who we are in relation to Taoism then we had the rituals, which is the when it became a religion. Right. And so I think Taoism is those rituals, those the study of the worship of deities and lighting incense and things, which is not true Tao. It's Tao is is nothing that's attached to anything. That's where it overlaps with Buddhism, I mm -hmm. think. Uh, and so Taoism is the study of the void and that emptiness and wholeness that we are. But again, we need it to get there. It's really interesting. Knowing you the way I do, I know that one, I think your heart's deepest commitment is to healing. You are a healer. I, I, I once... Uh, I once remember saying to you that my, my experience of you is such that I, I, I feel you've been a healer for thousands of years. Um. And I know that Taoism, in many ways, for you, the importance, the value, the, the, the passion comes from its association with healing. So, and we've we actually referred to this project, this program today, as the Tao of healing. What does Taoism have to say about healing? Yeah. What is it that Taoism, how did Taoism affect you? How do you understand it as being able to really continue and enhance your work as a healer? So what does Taoism say about healing is your yes. question? Um, so Tao means the way. So it's, it's, it's a road. It's a path. There is a lot of suffering out there in the world. Indeed. There's a lot of pain and anguish, and there's a lot of physical suffering we have a lot of ailments. There's a lot of pharmaceutical use out there. So in my opinion, we are away from that one, that stillness. So what does Taoism have to say about healing? Taoism is healing. I kind of parse it and find out how I can bring principles of Taoism to others so that they become more whole, more balanced, more still, less anxious. 
uh, lessen pain. And the way that is done is through internal alchemy. Internal alchemy has uh, what's called qigong, which is, uh, which is movements that kind of uh, symbolize what's going on inside. Neigong is the internal movements like breath and sound. And then you have neidon, which is a, alchemy means transformation, which is a transformation of that which is stuck within us in order for free flow so healing can take place. So all of this has to do basically with qi. Qi in Chinese medicine is life force. It's, it's translated as energy in the West, but it's beyond energy. It is, it's, it's life force. It's animating force. It feeds everything within us. Is qi and the Tao the same thing? That's an excellent question. Um, well, everything is Tao, so qi is Tao. Uh, qi is the is the um, the breath that Tao gives us, the life that Tao gives us. Wow! In order to exist and survive in every living thing, every living thing has qi, and qi is always in relationship with itself as different qualities within us and around us. So when we're ill, something is stuck. Let's say you have knee pain, right? The chi that's supposed to flow through the meridians, these energy pathways in our body, is stuck and it causes pain. My job as a healer is to unblock that dam, so to speak, and get that free flow of chi, and then the pain diminishes. Anxiety is, is a rising of chi, and it's stuck up here when it's supposed to be all the way down to our feet and through our head and vice versa and constantly moving through all our organs and our blood vessels and our nerves and everything. And so when we're anxious or we have insomnia or we can't sleep, it's stuck. When we get headaches, we have heat that rises, which is stuck chi, right? And in order to change that, not only do I use acupuncture needles, but breath helps that. Um, sound helps that. Visualization helps that. Meditation helps that. It's about sinking the chi. We in the West, as you know, are all up here. As a matter of fact, um, if you want, let's do uh, a little exercise. Absolutely. So you just sit up straight. And for those that are watching, just if you're sitting, sit up straight. And just kind of tune into your body and feel where... Where is it? Where are you feeling most of your energy right now? For whatever that means to you. If it's a pain, where is that? If it's um, shortness of breath, look at that. If you're having a headache or neck pain or wherever it is, if it's in your belly, just focus where that energy is. And now, in your mind, if you close your eyes... Right now, your mind's eye is behind your eyes, I would assume. And now I want you to bring your focus all the way down to the bottom of your belly. Now, I don't want you to observe the, the belly from above, behind your eyes, as, but as if you're taking an elevator down. So now your, your awareness behind the eyes now shifts to the jaw, the awareness in the throat, in the chest, you see your ribs, your lungs fall down into the diaphragm and all your internal organs. 
down into the belly. And now you're inside of what I call the pelvic bowl or the hip area. And just reside there. Look around. See what's around you. Listen. Listen to what's around you. It's called ting. T-I-N-G. Ting. Now, how do you listen inside of you? That's up to you to figure out. But it's really about being absorbed in the space at the bottom of your belly and allow your breath to reside there and listen to your breath. Ting inside your hips. Really feel that expanding all the way down at the bottom of your hips. And when you feel ready, just come back into the room and open your eyes. How do you feel, Jose? Calm. So really calm. So this is this is one example of what you can do daily, or what we can all do daily in our lives. That's just breath and listening. Zhuangzi has many stories, um, anecdotes about um, different life happenings, and he always has a little humor to it. He has a story about a butcher. His name is Butcher Ting. And uh, Lord Wenhui was watching him cut an ox for meat. And he didn't hack, and the meat just fell off the bones. And Wenhui said, how did you do that? I didn't see you cut into any muscle, any tendon, any leg. How did, and the meat just fell right off the bone. Um, Butcher Ting, which said, because I don't, I used to look at the ox with my eyes, and now I listen. I fill, with my spirit, I fill myself in the spaces between the muscles, between the joints, between the tendons, in the spaces in the ox. And that's where I put the knife. And all I have to do is move the knife around in the space between, and all else happens. Everything flows and happens exactly as it's supposed to. A good butcher will sharpen his knife once a year. He'll (laughs) cut. A mediocre butcher will sharpen his knife once a month. He'll hack. I have not sharpened my knife in 19 years. Now, is it a coincidence that butcher's name is Ting, and Ting means to listen into the spaces in ourselves so that everything drops off? Anxiety drops, breath increases, and healing starts to take place. That's just one example. I'm Bishop Heather Shea of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. We will be back with our remarkable guest, Reverend Diane Rooney, in just a minute. Please stay tuned. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to the exploration of the Tao. In Taoism, you don't have to give up anything. You just let go. However, if you find something owns you, that's when you need to let it go. 
that's when you give that up, if something owns you. So how many of us in the West are owned, even if it's by our own schedule, by our phones, by work, by, by um, committing to being better, bigger, you know? And it's not to say that it can't be had, but the path to it in the West is all about yang. If we're going to go back to yin and yang, it's all yang. It's out, out, out. Yang is light, out, movement. And it's necessary. But we have to have equal and opposite balance of yin, which is quiet and in. So if we're out, 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 we d- we're missing a whole half of balance and harmony, which, remember, is that tai chi symbol, the right. yin-yang symbol. That circle is Tao. So within that circle, you have the two halves. If we just have one half... We're missing a whole half of Tao. And that's not Tao. Tao is wholeness. I mean, even think about wintertime, the solstice, when it's the darkest. We really should be going to sleep when it gets dark at right. 4.30, 5 o'clock here in the northwest, northeast part of the um, United States. But what do we do? We turn on lights. We have Christmas lights or holiday lights or, you know, everything is light and that. And we're out, out, out. And it just goes against nature. Tao will not let us go against nature without some consequences. You cannot imbalance universal harmony without consequences. And those consequences are ill health, disease, imbalance, disharmony, suffering, anxiety, insomnia, digestive disorders, pains, aches, things all that manifest in our bodies, minds, and emotions because we're out of sync with nature. It is said when we are in sync, all is taken care of. We do nothing and everything gets done like nature does. Tao teaches us to become like water. Water is often used as a metaphor in the Tao Te Ching because water flows. It comes up against a boulder It doesn't try to break down the boulder, to change the boulder, to pick it up and move it. It goes around it. And Tao knows that in several thousand years, that boulder will be a pebble anyway, and it will just move along with the water. Where we in the West will try to change that boulder and move that boulder and, and force our way into what that bolt, into the path that that boulder is in the way of, instead of just going around it. So become more like water. Now, this all sounds lovely and wonderful, but, you know, what is the pragmatic part of this? We have to live. We have to work. We have to pay our rent. We have to feed our children. Mm -hmm. We have to do these things. But if we can just stop during the day, this is my own opinion, and just take a breath, drop down, listen, Go into ting inside the body and where are we living? Is it up here? And drop it down. Then we won't get so mad and angry at the supermarket, at the light, at the person who passes us at the, you know, on the road, things like that. And all those little things will also add to our ill health and disease. So if we drop those things, we will become healthier and happier. So, so you literally are saying it is possible to work and, and have a spouse and have children and have a home and have to pay rent or mortgage and be able to do all of that within a context of, if you will, flowing more with the Tao. Of course, because Tao is everything. Right. So Tao is the West. Tao is work. 
Tao is struggle and Tao is not struggle. That's the thing with Tao too is action, non-action. It is and it isn't at the same time. So it is feeding your children and struggling to feed your children, but it's also feeding your children and not struggling to feed your children. Life is going to happen. It's a matter of how we perceive it that matters. And that's what we have control over. And it's the paradox is letting control of what we have control over, which is just allowing things to be as they are. There's somebody at work you, you just that annoys you, irritates you. How are you going to deal with them yet another day? You just let it flow through you and pass you if you can. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask um, a simple question, which is practices that we can undertake on a daily basis that would help us, if you will, enter more into that kind of Taoist living. Before we do that, there is something I want to ask you about. You are a healer. The healing that you do is deeply influenced by Taoism. I know for a fact, uh, having gone to you for healing, that you believe people can continue certainly to benefit from Western medicine. You never tell people to get off their medications. But they can also augment that with Eastern and more integrative practices. I've had an experience like that with you, a profound experience where I, in the gym, hurt my back, went to a physical therapist, had enormous pain, came to you one day, we did this, um, I think I was with you for about an hour, maybe even less. You basically did acupuncture and a series of other things. I remember walking out of your house and the pain I had had, the horrible pain I'd had for two weeks, had disappeared. And I remember leaving your, 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 um, your clinic thinking to myself, oh, well, it'll come back tomorrow. This is all a, um, a placebo effect. The next day, of course, I didn't have pain. And frankly, I didn't go back to physical therapy again. It just disappeared. It was remarkable. One of the most extraordinary experiences I've ever had, and I've shared this with you over and over again. Tell me, what is the relationship between acupuncture and those other healing modalities you used on me that day and Taoism? Well, first of all, thank you for calling me a healer. I kind of shy away from that word. I'm just a facilitator for healing energy. That's how I like to think of myself. Salam. So let's just get that out of the Excellent. way. Um, it's acupuncture. You know, acupuncture has uh, been around for 3,500 years or more. And it is simply moving the chi in the body. So you had back pain. Your chi was stuck. My job was to find where it was stuck. So I used the needles to access these little what are called subos or whirlpools of energy on our body or acupuncture points. Mm -hmm. They're commonly called. I put the needle in that, manipulate the needle in order to get rid of anything that's in the way and get that free flow of energy, that chi. That's Taoism. I also added... Um, Reiki. So it's kind of a hands-on, which is, it's an Eastern philosophy, Japanese Eastern philosophy. But if everything is Tao, then of course it's going to fall under that as well. But it's not technically Taoist practices. And really that's just about bringing kind of warmth and healing to that particular area of the body. What's really happening on a Taoist level is bringing your awareness, the patient, into that area 
and experiencing that area with a different relationship. So once again, from a Taoist perspective, you had back pain, but at the same time, you had non-back pain. You had put your attention on back pain. But the two live simultaneously together. They always do. Mm. I just changed your attention into the non-back pain with the needles and as a result with the needles and your attention, you felt the free flow of chi and then the back response to no back pain. I'm simplifying this, and of course, it's it's not like this across the board. I'm not saying don't get cancer treatments or diabetes, insulin, um, if you need it, things like that. But these tiny little things we can do for ourselves. It's where you put your focus, where you put your breath, and you can ask for help by a Chinese medicine practitioner. And with that is just the movement of qi. I often give my patients some movements to do at home, Mm -hmm. a simple breath movement. So once again, if you want to do this, and for those looking, you can do this anywhere. You can do this watching TV at home. You just open your arms like this, take a big breath, inhale, and exhale. And feel your lungs like almost like squeezing like an accordion and open up. And close, and open, and so on. And this brings, breath brings oxygen to your body, to your cells. Your cells, your cells start to respond. Your cells want to be healthy. Your, your cells just tell, want are waiting for you to tell them what to do. So if you tell them, I bring oxygen to you and bring health, they're going to start to respond. The body is an amazing thing. Why? Because it has this immortal, um, conscious, uh, tapped-in um, essence that is, that is all-knowing within it. And that's Tao, is to get closer and closer to that. And the more we do that, the more still we become. Taoist masters, if you watch them or read about them, they do less and less of the Tai Chi, Qigong, things like that. When you're a neophyte, like I am, you do more movement in order to help you bring you to open up the spaces in your joints, open up the the tendons, get the muscles uh, moving in such a way that's healthy. And when that gets out of the way, like butcher ting, mm-hmm. um, you focus in the spaces between. And of course you get more and more quiet and then all is given to you. Like the ox just gives of its meat. <laughs> what, what would be practices that someone busy in the middle of Western, uh, civilization, Um, with a full day of family and work and community can do that might bring that individual, that man, that woman, that young person, that individual, to a a deeper connection with Tao, deeper connection with, with that part of themselves that really is healthy and powerful and healing. Well, what comes to mind first is pick up a copy of the Tao Te Ching. Just, there are many translators. I like, uh, personally, I like Jonathan Starr's translation, uh-huh. Derek Lin's translation, 
uh, Stephen Mitchell's translation. Those are three I can just think of the top of my head. Um, and just pick up and just read a verse. Just pick up the book, open it up and read a verse and just sit with that verse. Or get an audible if you're driving to work and just listen to a verse along the way. Mm. These words will start to penetrate. I, I say this personally because it's happened to me and everyone I've talked to. Just let the words seep in. So that's something you can do on your way to work or first thing in the morning. If you have time, um, do some of these exercises. Just simple breath work, simple movements, a couple qigong movements. Um, compressing the pearl is one. And all you're doing here, look how easy this is. It you're seems just bringing both your hands together. together. And as with if you a, had a like a, a ball, a ball in front and I'm of you. squeezing it yep. like an accordion back and forth. But it seems like it's just that's all I'm doing. But what am I really doing? I'm opening up the bones in my palms with my imagination. And I'm feeling the space between my bones and my muscles <laughs> in my imagination. <laughs> and now I'm imagining these um, uh, these centers in my palm radiating with energy and heat. And I'm pressing these two palms together, not touching, but pressing to generate chi. And from doing that, I can then bring these two together, rub my hands together. You feel the heat once you rub your hands together and put it on any part of your body to bring about healing. So you can do that while you're at your desk. You can bring it to, if you have knee pain, do compressing the pearl exercise. So two palms together, like you're holding an accordion back and forth, opening up the space in your palms, allowing the heat and the chi, the energy to flow between the two, the relationship with the two, bring your palms together, rub them together, generate heat, and put them on whatever's ailing you. Um, you could put it on your face if you're feeling tired to just pick you up. Um, if you have time, I would say go on YouTube. Look up Qigong practices for anxiety, and you can get some movements there. Or go to a class or find a teacher. There's many, many ways you can bring practices in your life. But if you are struggling, busy, have no time, just breathe. Just ting and breathe. And focus on that breath. And focus on the breath, dropping the breath. That's the key. Dropping it into the pelvic bowl. Dropping it, dropping it, dropping it. We live too much in our throat, our heads, our chest. Bring it down. Bring it down. Look at animals, right? They're all grounded. All animals. Even birds. You know, when they land, they land. They're grounded. You once said that to me. It was sort of interesting. I came to you again for acupuncture, and you said to me, "Stop, stop being living only in your head. Live in your entire body." Yes, yes. And we in the West live in our head. Yes. Because we're rewarded for that, right? Right. But we need to. Our head is one part of our body, right? Our mind is is our mind just likes to go. It just likes to move. We need to train it to listen to stop, to look at life um, as, as sweet and not worry so much, which reminds me of the story of the three masters and the vat of vinegar. 
it was uh, Confucius, Buddha, and Lao Tzu. And they're all standing over a huge vat of vinegar. And um, Confucius puts his finger in, tastes it, and says, this, is, this vinegar is sour. Buddha says this vinegar is bitter. Lao Tzu says this vinegar is sweet. Confucius says sour because he's responding to the, um, the warring states and the sourness of life and the need for morals and rules and regulations. And that's all living in the head and being, and you've got to make, you have to have this moral road in order to live in life. Buddha says it's bitter because he sees that life is suffering and you need the four noble truths and you need things to take you out of that bitterness, that suffering. Lao Tzu says vinegar is what vinegar is. It is its own nature and that's sweet and therefore life is sweet. So if we can start looking at life as that vat of vinegar through the eyes of Lao Tzu, through the eyes of Taoism, then we can quiet our minds. We can see that it is what it is. It, because it's supposed to be. And we don't have to brace up, try to manipulate it and control it and fight it. Just allow it to flow. And as a result, I promise you, as a result, your body will start to follow. Your body will start to relax. When your mind relaxes, your body will start to relax. And healing, such as it is, we're all different, however that looks in you, will start to unfold and take place. You can go find somebody to help you accelerate that healing if you wish, or you can do it on your own. But pick up the book of the Tao Te Ching and the Duan Tzu if, you'd, if you really want to embody all of it. In our exploration of the world's enduring um, spiritual and religious traditions, I've had a lot of, um, a lot of spiritual teachers here. And one of the questions that I try to get at in one way or the other has to do with ethics. Many of these philosophies, spiritualities, religions have some level of ethical teachings. They say something about how we should treat not only ourselves but each other. Um, in Taoism, what is the ethical perspective? What are the ethical teachings? What's the ethical view, if any? Well, there's two answers to that. Uh, the, the, uh, the short answer is that there is no ethics in Taoism because Taoism is, is about being at harmony, universal harmony. So there is no ethics or morals. Uh, although, historically, Tao means the way and it just meant a road. And then about 800 BCE, it got changed to a moral road. So there were some ethics that were kind of put upon it. Mm -hmm. And then from the moral road, it became the heavenly road and then the divine way. So in one sense, yes, there are ethics and morals, but that was put upon it. If we go back to the Wu people... There, if you live in harmony, you don't need morals. And that's the foundation of Taoism and Tao. You don't need to be something in relationship to something because you already are. Does in, that make sense? Yes, absolutely. If you're already in harmonious relationship right. with everything, right. why would you need to live by any specific rules? Right. So that's why um, uh, Lao Tzu was always on about... Um, 
he was never really a moral policeman. He was about what to do to get you back to that stillness, to back to that universal, harmonious way of living. Having said that, there are th- we are taught in Taoism there are three vehicles. The first is good deeds, and that's the simplest of the three vehicles. Just do good deeds. Be nice to people. Do good deeds. If you think of others, then you're really helping yourself as well. The second vehicle is um, ritual, and that is um, in community, um, through ritual, through symbols, through, um, through sound and temples and things like that, you become um, kind of ethically or morally committed to the community as one, as you are um, praying to, um, chanting to an outside deity or being. But I'm going to reiterate and say that's not the original Tao. Right. Right? It's not praying to deities. Lao Tzu never talked about deities. He never called himself a prophet. There was no worshiping of anything outside of So this of was an augmentation over that's time. That's right. Okay. That's right. We're almost into AD now at this point in, in the calendar. The third and most difficult of the... Uh, the three vehicles is the internal alchemy. So, and that gets rid of all ethics. And that's what I discussed before. The internal alchemy is the nadon, which is that transformation of chi within our body. Um, so that we become one with the immortal self that we are. There's the nagong, which is the breath and the sound and the internal movements and the ting and the listening. And then there's the qigong, which is the outward movement. So, but again, all of this is not, it's, Tao doesn't really have a set of standards mm-hmm. because it takes it outside of Tao. Makes sense. So it's kind of a paradox. I've always thought ritual is fascinating because I, I when I had the opportunity to study with, um, with Roman Catholic uh, liturgists, and if you will, Roman Catholic ritual experts, uh, there was something that was shared with me, which I thought was really quite profound. The teacher said to me, a ritual is a way of reliving a myth in such a way that over time your consciousness is transformed. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. That if you sit there, for example, say the Eucharist, right? A Roman Catholic Passover, if you will that you enter into that ritual, you enter into that myth, you enter into that story, you become a part of it, you literally embody it, you, you, you practice it in the true deepest sense in such a way that over time it transforms your consciousness. It, in other words, it's a form of alchemy. It right? can be. Yeah. It, almost, it almost takes the ethics on the one hand and the alchemy on the other ritual and brings it together in this enactment Enactment, I like that word. Yeah. Yeah, ritual. Profound, isn't rit- it? it is. And ritual is, I, we've been ritualists since the beginning of time, so there's something to ritual. I always see ritual as a symbol, a metaphor for the deeper mysteries that we can't quite put a word to or grasp. So we need things yes. in order to understand that mystery. And so we use 
we use symbols and rituals in order to do that. I also see ritual as a way of drumming up, stoking up um, energy, life force, um, love, um, these, these basic things that we are in order to understand them and embody them more. Where we get into, um, uh, I, I, trouble is not the right word, I can't think of the word at the moment, but where it becomes kind of lost is when we just do the ritual without, without feeling it because we're just so used to doing it, it becomes rote. And you see, that's our mind again. Our mind just goes with what it knows and it just goes on and on and on. And we're not seeing the newness or feeling it as if it's the first time we've ever done it. I'm not saying all ritualists do that. I'm just saying some of us do that if we do rituals every day or it's, okay, it's time to do this, it's time to light the candle, da, 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 without feeling it, embodying it. It's fascinating. One of the reasons I, I'm trying to get us a little bit into that is because, in essence, what rituals teach us may be something we can also learn and bring into the healing modality. Because if we walk into a healing and truly surrender to it, uh, in, it, we, we ritualize it in a sense. Well, I guess it is a ritual. Right. When I do my acupuncture treatments, they are rituals. Yes? They are. They are. I do, um, you know, I happen to bring in a lot of tools. So I may, uh, you know, do some Palo Santo just to kind of clear the energy around. Um, a little bit of Reiki, essential oils to bring in that life force of the plant bring that into it, right. into the whole healing, as well as the acupuncture. Um, some spiritual counseling might be going on. That's all ritualistic. Yeah. And when somebody gets well, it's because um, not only it's what I'm doing, it's they're participating too. They're open to having the shift within their energetic system. Right. Thank you for joining us today. Please visit us in Upper Manhattan or online at upspiritualarts.org. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity. The newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.